Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Country for Old Meg. This is a podcast where I talk about whatever part of the world I'm living in at the moment, which is, as you probably know by now, Tokyo, Japan. Once again, if you haven't followed or subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, I recommend that you do. We're also on SoundCloud under No Country for Old Meg. So it's starting to get really cold in Tokyo at the moment. I mean, it's not quite as cold as at home, of course, but it's still, the mornings are about seven or eight degrees. So yesterday I went in search of a coat because I was kind of stupid and didn't bring enough wintry clothes. If you've heard of Harajuku before, it might be from Gwen Stefani's 2004 song Harajuku Girls where she sings about the style and fashion of this area, Harajuku. It's a really popular tourist spot, as well as a sort of shopping district. And I was kind of on the hunt for some Christmas presents as well. So I decided I'd take a look for a jacket and I was successful. I got a really nice one for a thousand yen on sale, which is about eight euro fifty. So I'm pretty delighted with it. Basically, Harajuku is famous for being what is known as kawaii, which means cute. So when one of my students mentioned that she was taking a class on cute culture, I kind of was taken aback at first. I thought, cute culture, like, what is that? Why is there a whole class on it? I realized that I hadn't actually thought about the impact of kawaii or cuteness on Japan's society, other than knowing that it involved cute cartoon characters and bright colors and girls trying to achieve a sort of doll-like appearance. I hadn't considered how or why this was so unique to Japan. I think we sort of just think of it as this cute quirk of the culture here without thinking about how and when it began. So it turns out there's actually been a lot of studies done on this topic and there's heaps of academic papers available online. So I kind of sieved through them and had a look. And in the Japanese dictionary, kawaii is defined as itawashi, which means pitiable, aisubeki, I think, which means lovable, and Chia and chisakute, and another word that I can't read, which means small and beautiful. So, the original Japanese idea of cuteness emphasized the powerlessness and helplessness of um, these objects, which kind of needed the observer's sympathy in order to survive. Whereas the Collins English Dictionary, it's defined as a Japanese artistic and cultural style that emphasizes the quality of cuteness using bright colors and characters with a childlike appearance. While cuteness differs across cultural borders, I don't think it's as prevalent in any country as it is in Japan. And the rise of kawaii culture or the kawaii trend seems to have begun in the 60s. There's a few different theories as to where it began. Um, I'm not entirely sure how accurate each one is but I read a few of them. And they say that the original definition came from this 11th century novel called The Tale of Genji, where it was used to describe feelings of embarrassment and awkwardness. And it eventually began to refer to beings which can't be left alone and must be cared for. It seems to have gone through many like morphings of definitions, but almost all of them seem to describe something that is childlike and innocent. It's also said that in the 70s, this kawaii trend grew after the introduction of you know mechanical pencils that you kind of click and replace with the lead 
uh, which teen girls began to use when writing letters and diaries, which was something that was like central to youth culture back then. And girls kind of formed this new style of lettering using big round characters and like cute little pictures. I think probably the equivalent of like our emojis. And this was actually banned in schools because it was really hard to read. But companies noticed how huge the trend became and they cashed in on it by creating loads of cartoon or kawaii stationery. And even now, it's actually rare that I see any of my students in class with a normal pen or a normal pencil. They all have stationery that's themed around Sanrio, like Hello Kitty, Disney themed. They're actually really big fans of Disney here too. A sort of funny anecdote that I came across was that in the late 80s, the Showa emperor died and he was seen as like the symbol of wartime and Japan's military aggressiveness and dictatorship. And thousands of people gathered in front of the imperial residence to pray for him. And this included groups of teenage girls who apparently surprised everyone by claiming that the emperor was cute. So during the 80s, the cute fad basically like saturated mainstream culture here through what the Japanese call idols. So I've heard my students say the word idols a lot. And from what I gather, they mean celebrities. They're usually singers or members of J-pop or K-pop groups. And when teenagers hear fangirl over something or someone, they fangirl hard. Like there's no kind of, yeah, I sort of like them. It's like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with them. One of the most influential idols of this time was Matsuda Seiko, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. She's said to be largely responsible for the popularity of the kawaii trend. And her fashion, hairstyle, speech, everything became known as bariko, which originates from kawaiko bariko, meaning a child or girl who pretends to be kawaii. So girls were described to be dressing up as innocent babies who avoided growing up and taking on social and family responsibilities. And the trend of women's denial to grow up was kind of represented by the term shoujo, meaning females between puberty and marriage. Women were thought to embrace this shoujo-ness by consuming cute merchandise, which allowed them to delay their roles as wives and mothers because they were able to act too young to be able to do this, to be able to marry and have children. And this simplistic and childish nature of kawaii meant that it really avoided criticising and has continued to be a, like a driving force behind a lot of aspects of Japanese society. I mean, it's pretty much everywhere. So anyway, later in the kind of earlier mid-90s, the popularity of this fad kind of faded briefly. The value of the yen fell and the country faced this economic crisis. And so Hello Kitty then kind of made its revival in the 90s when businesses began to use mascots and cartoons to target these people in their 30s who had enjoyed kawaii culture in the past. So banks and airlines kind of used cute as a strategy to increase their appeal. And since then, the cute craze has somewhat like spread around the world after emerging against the struggling economy of the 90s. I mean, Japan loves mascots. You have banks, post offices, national government offices. They all have some sort of cartoon mascot uh, on their products and advertisements. Signs in railway stations sometimes show like a cartoon character looking sad and apologizing for any sort of inconvenience. 
I even have a Hello Kitty fridge magnet that came through my letterbox a few months ago and it shows, it's got Japanese text on it which I never thought to actually translate until now and it has a picture of Hello Kitty wearing a little cap. It's an advertisement for a plumbing service. They've really cashed in on using the appeal of these characters. So the ANA airline, uh, All Nippon Airlines, I think is what it stands for. I actually flew with them here. Uh, some of their passenger jets have Pikachu on the sides. And one of the banks has, you know, that cartoon character Miffy. I think she's like a rabbit um, on their ATMs and credit cards. All of the prefectures here, like the regions, have their own mascot known as Eurochara to promote tourism. Some police forces even have their own Moe mascots, as it's called, on the front of Koban, which are police boxes. The company behind Hello Kitty Sanrio even has its own theme park here. And they have about 50 characters, which takes in over a billion dollars a year. So Sanrio is basically like the king of capitalizing the cute trend. And then recently, a kind of newer form of kawaii emerged, which was aimed towards adults. And while the 80s kawaii was seen as a form of kind of self-pity and escapism, the more recent styles have been considered as kind of like ugly and defiant. So they released characters with like deeper personalities, per se, such as my personal favorite, Gudetama, who was released in 2014. And he seems to be some sort of lazy or apathetic egg. Um, the name comes from Gude Gude, which is used to describe something lazy and lacking energy, and Tamago, which means egg. And according to Wikipedia, Gude Tama is characterized as a depressed egg, and it has a million followers on Twitter. So if you want to know what Gude Tama looks like, um, just Google G-U-D-E-T-A-M-A. And his facial expression was apparently designed to reflect today's young people who feel tired of life. So this kind of darker and anti-cute kawaii is known as kimo kawaii, which means gross, cute, or creepy cute. I personally still think it looks really cute. Like, I have pens and cutlery and stationery of this little lazy egg. But I also, I mean, I do like how it has a kind of darker humor behind it, possibly designed to appeal to millennials. I just like that he looks fed up and just looks like he could not be arsed with anything. So I think he's pretty relatable. So where cute culture began as a trend for teenage girls, it's everywhere and it's kind of claimed by everyone, regardless of age or gender. Like it's actually really common to see men with cute Sanrio character key rings or backpacks or they even have ties with like a small cartoon character on it to brighten up their suit for work. So cute is not strictly believed to just be for girls here, which is probably one of the biggest differences that I see between here and home. I mean, it would be pretty rare to see a teenage boy or even a grown man with like a Hello Kitty keyring on their backpack or, you know, their school bags with some sort of like cartoon characters on them. But I think what makes Kawaii so famous around the world today is probably its influence on fashion. Um, it has a lot of fashion subcultures, and I think this is what Gwen Stefani was singing about in her Harajuku Girls song. She just thought it was really cool and really liked their style. So some of the subcategories of kawaii fashion includes Lolita fashion. And this is like a mixture of kind of Victorian clothing and gothic clothing in like an attempt to achieve this sort of porcelain doll appearance of 
cuteness and innocence with a sort of like underlying forbidden sexuality to it and it kind of involves a lot of lace ribbons bows bow peep collars petticoats and it's one of the darker subcategories because a subset of this is known as sweet lolita which is similar basically except that they've replaced the dark colors with pastels and light colors the aim is to achieve this sort of baby doll face look and to do this you need to create the illusion of having bigger eyes which can be done with contact lenses that make your eyes look completely black or fake eyelashes, eyelid tape, which actually tapes your eyelids up to make them look more open. Or they also have double tape, which you put kind of in the um, socket part. Is that what you call it? Like above your, between your eyebrow and your eyelashes, like the sockety part. And it makes it, it gives the illusion of having a double eyelid. And they actually also have a double eyelid surgery for people who are extremely committed to this look. There's also decora, which means pretty much wearing a lot of decorations to make yourself a decoration, which is done so by wearing heaps and heaps of accessories and jewellery to make yourself more like vibrant and to give a kind of childlike appearance. So whether or not kawaii is simply pop culture or has a deeper cultural impact is kind of up to how you interpret it. Some claim that kawaii culture's roots have a sort of sexist overtone, suggesting that women must be innocent and subservient and protected, and that females are only perceived as cute if they kind of regress back to their childish identities, both physically and mentally. Which kind of goes back to what my last episode was about with gender inequality and how women are expected to perform in society here. And in fairness, it is worth taking a look at how strong female characters are portrayed and accepted by Japanese fans. Because interestingly, the American version of Wonder Woman in 2017 was massively unpopular here. So Warner Brothers Japan decided to actually advertise it slightly differently. It was basically like a kawaii version of Wonder Woman. They tweeted the video of the ad with the the caption, She's supposed to be one of the most powerful superheroes in existence. But she's also an incredibly innocent and naive girl who knows nothing about men and love. Which is kind of an odd way to market what is meant to be a strong female warrior protagonist. I mean, she was better received when she was portrayed as a cute, vulnerable female who knows nothing of men or sexuality. Female characters are expected to kind of stand around and do nothing but just look cute. Like, if you'll notice, Hello Kitty actually has no mouth and doesn't seem to actually do anything. It just kind of stands there. Another kind of funny example is how badly the Cabbage Patch Kids sold here in 2014 because their facial features were considered ugly and grotesque compared to the sort of flatter, expressionless faces of characters like Hello Kitty, who sort of, like I said before, do nothing. Barbie actually also did not sell well here, despite how popular she was all over the world. Japan actually had their own really popular doll at the time called Lika, which dominated the market. But while Barbie was modelled on an adult woman, Lika was modelled on an 11-year-old girl, so it was seen as cuter and preferable. So kawaii culture, is it's almost like overwhelming in Japan. You can go to a Hello Kitty restaurant, buy a Hello Kitty toilet seat, go to a Hello Kitty theme park. I mean, it's quite literally everywhere. I like the cute stationery and, you know, the fun lazy egg products. And I like seeing cartoons on leaflets that come in the post. But the deeper I've looked into this, 
the more interesting the whole concept has become. It's become much more than what I originally believed it to be. Like when I first thought of kawaii, I thought of the kind of trend we had on Bebo of putting stickers on your photos and they were like glittery. I think it was like bling in your photos or something. And that's kind of what I originally thought. I thought it was just cuteness. But I've kind of only scratched the surface here of what's really behind this trend or I don't know if it could be even characterized as a trend anymore if it's been going on for 50 or 60 years. So I guess this aspect of pop culture in Japan. I would recommend googling Gudetama the depressed egg. Um, also, if you're interested, you know, look up the ANA airlines with Pikachu on them or Hello Kitty restaurant or Sanrio theme park because it's really interesting to see and to realize how normal those things are here. However, I will definitely be stocking up on some cute merchandise from the 100 yen shops here before I go. Anyway, that brings me to the end of today's episode, which I hope you found as interesting as I did researching for it. Again, don't forget to follow or subscribe on... Do you even subscribe on iTunes, actually, or do you just follow? Download? Either way, No Country for Old Meg is on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. 